Are you applying to law school? Would you love to attend UCLA Law School? You're in luck. Today's guest is UCLA Law's Dean of Admissions, Rob Schwartz. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Acceptance founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Thanks for joining me for the 448th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Are you applying to law school this cycle? Or perhaps are you planning ahead to apply to law school next year or even later? Are you competitive at your target programs? Acceptance Law School admissions quiz can give you a quick reality check. Just go to accepted.com law dash quiz, complete the quiz, and you'll not only get an assessment, but you'll get tips on how to improve your chances of acceptance. Plus, it's all free. Again, take the short quiz at accepted.com law dash quiz to obtain your free assessment and those tips. Now let's move into today's interview. I'm delighted to have on Admission Straight Talk, Robert Schwartz, Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at UCLA Law. Dean Schwartz earned his JD from Cordoza Law, graduating magna cum laude. He then practiced law for 10 years before returning to Cordoza, where he served as Dean of Admissions for 11 years. He joined UCLA in October 2006. Dean Schwartz, thanks for joining me today on Admission Straight Talk. Great to be here, Linda. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, can you give us just a, an overview of the more distinctive elements of UCLA Law School's JD program? Sure, I can try to do that, but at least for a, a little bit. Uh, sure. I think it's a very distinctive uh, school and program, so there's, there's a lot to say about it. But I guess I would say in terms of distinction, I feel like we offer a lot of programs that are really on the cutting edge that are very important uh, in society today. So you take issues like climate change. Um, we have the Emmett Institute for Climate Change and the Environment. Uh, you take issues like civil rights uh, and racial justice. And we have a specialization in critical race studies, uh, one of the only schools in the country to offer such a, a specialization. Uh, take the issue of LGBT rights, the Williams Institute for um, sexual orientation and gender identity law is located here at UCLA. And uh, there are several others. We've recently launched a, a Center for Immigration Law and Policy and a Technology Law Center. Um, and uh, so those are just a few examples. Uh, on the human rights front, we're, we consider ourselves a powerhouse here in, on the West Coast through the Promise Institute uh, for Human Rights. So those are just a few examples. I'm also very proud of our program that we offer in the first year before uh, the first full week of classes. We call it Law 101. And it's a five-day program which gives students an introduction to what law school is all about. Uh, and I think it makes them feel more comfortable as they get ready to start their legal studies. You even get to take a practice law school exam at the end of that first week. It's just pass-fail but I think it gets the jitters out uh, before you start your real classes. Sounds good. Now, UCLA is famous for its strength in arts, entertainment, and media law. I read that 29% of the students specialize in media, entertainment, and technology law and policy. Can you touch on what UCLA offers in those areas, both in the classroom and outside of it in terms of extracurricular opportunities? 
Sure, yeah, happy to do that. And I'm glad you brought this up because when I mention a few things, I inevitably leave a few things out. And what I left out was the Ziffert Institute for Media, Entertainment, Technology, and Sports Law, which is another one of our specializations. And actually, it's it's not that high a percentage of students who actually specialize in entertainment law. By the time they graduate, I'd say only about five to seven percent of our students actually graduate with the specialization in uh, entertainment law. But it's a phenomenal uh, program available to students. Um, in the first year, even students can go and attend uh, talks and lunches and events with our alumni, you know, who are executives from uh, all kinds in all kinds of uh, positions. And then when you get to your second and third years, you can take classes in subjects like entertainment law, and patent law, film finance, uh, copyright, and of course, we're here in LA, so you can participate in uh, externships, part-time externships with technology firms, talent agencies, unions and production companies. And we have some great clinical programs too. We have a documentary film legal clinic and a sports law simulation clinic. We also have a very active uh, student edited uh, entertainment law review and a uh, and a uh, student uh, an entertainment law student organization so that gives you an opportunity to learn more about the field and then just being here we're able to bring in a lot of lawyers and executives to campus and they can share their perspectives and then lastly I would mention every year is the entertainment symposium that we sponsor uh, I believe now it's it's been in existence for about 45 years and, and that's held uh, every year and students can um, attend that and be able to learn a lot more about the field and network with practitioners. Great, thank you. Thank you very much for the, that uh, very detailed answer. And I, I'm wondering, where, I'm trying to remember where I got the 29%, but whatever, I must have uh, misread something. Well, okay. yeah, I mean, so students can take classes in it, but to actually graduate, we have right. seven areas where you can specialize. And that means you're graduating with a notation on your transcript that you um, uh, completed all of the requirements. Oh, That's a smaller percentage that actually do that. Makes sense. And what are the seven areas? Okay, well, you'll test me. We'll see if we can get them. So entertainment okay. law is one. Right. Uh, we have a business law and policy specialization with the Milken Institute for Business Law and Policy. We have the environmental law specialization. I mentioned that one. Critical race, <laughs> critical race studies, the Epstein program in public interest law and policy, international law, and then law and philosophy. And we also offer a certificate program in trial advocacy. Okay. Okay, great. I think I got them all. I think you got them all. Yeah. I was kind of, you know, kind of my fingers there. Um, how has, turning in an entirely different direction now, how has COVID affected the curriculum and experience at UCLA Law? And I'm not so much talking about what happened, let's say, in March 2020, when the world was turned upside down, but kind of what, where's the situation now? Kind of how do you see it going forward? Well, right now we're fully, pretty much fully in person. Uh, everybody is masked, uh, but um, uh, you know, in in many ways, we're almost back to normal. We're we're not completely there. We're not able to have visitors, unfortunately, right now. So we're doing a lot of virtual uh, recruiting events and things like that. Uh, but the but it's been very successful. We've had uh, really no no evidence of transmission in the classroom, and faculty and students are wearing masks and. Uh, I guess you know the major impact is we're not able to have as many large type lectures or programs, so a lot of those have moved virtual. But compared to how we were uh, last year, uh, this is a, a definite step in the right direction. I don't know that I can 
look into a crystal ball and say exactly, you know, how this is going to be going forward. But uh, we're all hopeful that this is a step in the right direction and a return to a more normal educational setting. Right. Yeah, actually asking about crystal balls is pretty difficult when you're talking about COVID, but it's not necessarily a terribly fair question. All right, let's try something else, more like application volume. Okay. Okay. Uh, last year saw a surge in applications to all law schools, and UCLA's median LSAT rose to 171 from 168 in 2020, and its average GPA is now a 3.82. Um, also a pretty significant rise from 2020's 3.72. What do you see in your crystal ball for this cycle? When I looked at LSAC's numbers, and it's admittedly very early in the cycle, it's now mid-November, they were basically flat compared to last year. They're pretty much tracking last year. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, well, first of all, let me just clarify. So our median LSAT for the class that, that entered this past fall is actually a 170, so not a one, 171, oh. but the median GPA is a 3.8. I think I got that from your site. You might want to check I, it. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> it did say 170. I'll our 75th percentile is a 171. Um, and right now, as of today, um, the number of applicants in the country, as you say, is pretty flat. Uh, it looks like, uh, as of now, uh, the Law School Admissions Council reports 1.3% uh, uh, increase in applicants. And we are up, uh, UCLA, about 5% over last year. And last year, at the end of the day, we saw a 33% increase over the year before. So. Um, you know, it's, it's early in the cycle and it's difficult to make predictions right now, but it looks like it will be another high volume year, although it doesn't look like we'll see another, you know, big increase like we saw um, uh, last year over the year before. Right. Now let's turn to the application, something that applicants can still influence, unlike uh, whether their competition is applying or not. Um, UCLA accepts both the LSAT and the GRE. Do you have any preference for one over the other? We do not have any preference for one over the other. We've only been accepting the GRE for a few years now, so it's still, you know, so it's a little early. In terms of preference, I think what's, it's, it's not really a, on our side. I think it's more important for the applicants themselves to decide which test they think they can perform better on. Uh, but we're still seeing the vast majority of our applicants take the LSAT. In this year's entering class, we only have a few students, a handful, who uh, took the GRE. I think we had 11 the year before. Um, so it's still a pretty small number. And I'm always happy to counsel anyone individually about their specific circumstances and what might be best for them. Many of the applicants who are applying who took the GRE are uh, uh, applying that way because they're already in a graduate program. They've already taken the GRE for that reason. And so uh, they don't necessarily need to sit for another a test, but I find that most people that are applying to law school for the first time and haven't pursued a separate graduate degree are, are still sitting for the LSAT. I would assume that a lot of them are also like dual degree applicants, you know, MBA, Correct. JD, et cetera. Um, do you find, or, or maybe it's too early to even ask the question, given the numbers that you're talking about, is the GRE as predictive of success in law school as the L LSAT? It's a little too early to tell, and we don't have the same detailed statistics that we get, like from the Law School Admissions Council, which shows the correlation between the LSAT and first year, first year grades. Is full-time work experience a nice to have when applying to UCLA Law, or is it really important to the admissions committee at UCLA Law? We do value work experience in the in the review process, uh, but I would say to applicants, you should go to law school when you want to go to law school. And if you know that as a senior, you want to get going, um, there's no reason not to apply. 
uh, I'd say the last few years, close to a third of our entering class comes right out of a graduate program. I think that, you know, work experience is something we value, but it's not absolutely essential in the review process. And when people are applying as a senior, uh, many times they do have work experience. They've experienced during the school year or during the, uh, or during the um, summers in, in between the college years. Is it important that the work experience be legally related, like working in a law clinic or a law office or something like that? Or do you take a broader perspective? Much broader perspective. I think if somebody wants to get some experience in the legal field at a law firm or um, at a public service agency, whatever, uh, they should do that because they're excited about that position um, and not because they want to necessarily enhance their law school admissions application. Um, so do it, do, do it for yourself, not for the admissions committee. That would be my advice. Okay. Sounds like great advice. Now, little story here. Way back in 1996, in fall 1996, I attended a local conference of pre-law advisors. Local is in the LA area. And at the first session I attended, um, a dean of a law school argued very forcefully that all those people who then said that the only thing that counts in law school admissions is the GPA and the LSAT were wrong. And he received an enthusiastic round of applause when he finished his talk from the advisors at the conference. The next session was pre-law advisors only. And all they talked about was the influence of the GPA and the LSAT. It was like just exclusively LSAT and GPA. Today, obviously there's also the GRE, but what, what factors, if any, do you weigh in addition to the GPA? So we consider many factors in the admissions process. And I guess I would say, you know, we're admitting people, we're not admitting numbers. Your grades and your test scores are important because we want to admit people who we think are going to succeed. Uh, but we're also fortunate to have a lot of uh, applicants from people who will be very successful in law school and as attorneys. And so um, I can list a number of factors that are important to the admissions committee. We briefly touched upon work experience as one of them. Other, other factors the committee considers important are things like uh, your extracurricular pursuits, particular leadership uh, skills that you've demonstrated, community and public service is important, challenges you've faced, one of the optional questions on our application is, are there any of our particular programs that you're interested in that you think you could contribute to? That's also a factor that we uh, will uh, take into account. So those are some of the major other factors. And, um, you know, uh, grades and test scores are important, right? When you look at who's admitted to the law school, we make this data public, you can see that the higher your grades and test scores, the better your chances of admission. But when you're in um, a, a category where there are less of those applicants or where there are more of those applicants and we can only admit a smaller percentage, these other factors that I, that I was just uh, talking about are critically important. They're important for all applicants, but they're even more important um, depending on where you fall in the applicant pool. And I think as a prospective student, really all you can do is be smart about the application process, right? Pick a wide range of schools to apply to. Um, depending on how many you're applying to, make sure some are real reaches where, you know, your, your scores are much below that of the, of the school. And then um, others where uh, you're kind of right on the mark and some safety schools that you're excited about going to as well. And I think if you do that, you're going to very likely have a successful uh, admission cycle. We're big advocates of people being very realistic, maybe stretching a little bit with a few, having some that they're very likely to get accepted to. That's definitely uh, music right. to my ears. 
and, not that you need my agreement, but go ahead. No, no. And I, and I think that people need to remember these are medians, right? Right. Uh, and so half the people are going to be below those numbers that you, um, that you mentioned at the beginning. And um, that's, that's a lot. That's 50% of the class. So, you know. Right. They're, they're, they're neither floors nor ceilings. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Now, UCLA laws, you, you, you touched on this a second ago. It's take on the personal statement is a little different from many law schools. And then it asks students to discuss what would enable them to make a distinctive contribution to UCLA law or to the legal profession, in addition to the more traditional elements like your ability to succeed in law school or how you, you know, why you want to become a lawyer. Normally, when people go to school, they are looking to get out of the school. They're looking to much more than to contribute something distinctive. So kind of where is, where is this coming from? Well, I think, you know, first of all, the personal statement uh, serves a, a few purposes. One is right. it's, a, it's a sense of your writing. The second thing is it, it, it gives us a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, we, you know, we wish we could interview every applicant. We cannot. And so I would encourage prospective students to think of the personal statement as an interview. If you were coming in, what would you want the admissions committee to know about you? Now, you're applying to law school. Uh, so, you know, you could tell us a lot about yourself. But what we really want to know is something about uh, yourself, your background, and how you got to this point in your life and why it is that you'd like to go to law school. I don't know that it's so critically important that you address there what you're going to be contributing per se, but what is important is that you address on some level your interest in the law. It's important that you have some sense of uh, why you're applying to law school and what it is you hope to uh, accomplish. How do you view addenda that address a dip in grades, perhaps an academic infraction, challenges overcome, or something along those lines? Well, for us, it's actually a question on the application, which is optional in part. Is there anything you want to tell us about your academic background or your standardized test taking uh, uh, history? And so it's there that uh, you should address those things and they're important. I think the way an applicant should look at it is if a stranger, which we are, is looking at your your transcript, are there things that stand out, right? Maybe there was one a semester where you didn't do as well or a course where you didn't do as well. And it's there that you can provide any explanation that you want us to take into account. Okay. What about not so much the addenda in this case, but the reality of a student who has some kind of criminal record? Well, uh, it's first of all, I would say it's important that that uh, uh, individual uh, investigate with any state bar that they're thinking about practicing as to whether or not that uh, criminal record could impact their ability to be admitted to the state bar because once you graduate law school you're going to have to go through a character and fitness uh, portion of the admission process so uh, that's a separate matter um, for us um, we have to evaluate each application individually and holistically and I, I you know some of the things we would consider is the serious uh, how serious an infraction it was when it took place uh, what uh, what the applicant may have learned uh, from that or what they've done since then. Um, so we've admitted people before who have uh, various criminal infractions. So I wouldn't say to somebody that uh, that means automatically that they're not going to be admitted to the law school. Uh, but uh, in some cases, we may interview that applicant. So in some individuals, we do interview. Um, so, I, you know, there's so many wide variety of things we could be uh, talking about here, but, you know, we just have to look at each application individually and consider the circumstances. Under what circumstances do you invite people to interview? 
Well, a few. Uh, we have a few full tuition scholarship programs, and we do um, interview uh, everyone we're considering admitting for those, as well as for our early decision binding admissions program. We also interview everybody who is uh, who we're considering admitting from our waiting list uh, once we get to that portion of the process. And sometimes we interview people during the uh, regular review process, and that's just a function of could be a wide number of factors, but based on a review of the file, we want to, uh, a criminal infraction we talked about, that could be one, but there could be others where we just, after reviewing the file, would like to meet the candidate, but that's in a small number of cases. Okay. Does UCLA law accept and consider update letters from applicants who feel they have something significant to add to their application after they submit it and before hearing back from you? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, letters of recommendation, I would say no, we require two letters and that's it until again, we get to the waitlist process and then we'll consider additional letters. Um, but if somebody has an update to their file, uh, an update to their resume, absolutely, we would, we would welcome that. Okay. Now, you've been doing this for a long time. What is a common mistake you see applicants make during the application process? And if you have a few favorites, you can, you can do more than one. <laughs> Well, you know, I guess the, the major ones that come to mind, uh, first of all, the good news is it's not that many mistakes, uh, okay. but, uh, you know, sometimes I would say just not, not following the instructions. Like we talked about the personal statement uh, and what our requirements are. And we ask for a two-page statement. Maybe somebody submits a four-page statement or somebody writes in the personal statement, those are the reasons why I want to go to. And instead of saying UCLA law school, they put the name of another school. Um, so those are the kinds of mistakes uh, we see, uh, grammatical errors in the personal statement or in, in the application, but by and large, there are not uh, too many grave errors. I guess, you know, after talking to applicants after cycles are complete, I think the biggest mistake that they make is not so much in their application, but in terms of, in, in, in terms of where they apply. And that's why we, we talked about that earlier. And that's why I mentioned it is just having that range of schools to apply to and being thoughtful about where you're applying. What do you see as the appropriate role for parents in this process, especially parents of applicants coming straight from undergraduate schools is probably where you're going to see the, the biggest um, interaction, if you will. Yeah, I, I actually have dealt with parents very infrequently um, right. in, in the process over the years, whether they're coming straight out or, or not. Um, it is, um, it's happened on occasion. Um, I would say more often than not, uh, where it happens is parents are coming to visit, uh, coming to an admitted student program or coming for a tour. And I think that's great. I mean, they want to be with their, their son or daughter and see uh, where they might spend the next three years and help ask some questions. And that's uh, totally fine. All right, great. What advice do you have either for applicants planning to apply this cycle or for those planning ahead to apply next year or later? I think what we've learned over the last few years, uh, last year particularly, is that with this higher volume, you really want to um, try to try to prepare as early as you, as you can. And, um, and, and, and try to apply as early in the cycle as you can. There's no question that last year there were applicants who applied closer to the deadline who had they applied earlier, we would have been able to offer them admission. So um, just trying to uh, do your homework early, take the LSAT or the GRE early and get, get uh, prepared, uh, get your letters of recommendation together, be working on your personal statement. 
you know, you do want to apply as early as you can with the strongest application that you can. So, you know, if, for example, you take the LSAT and you're not as not as happy with your performance and you want to retake it, clearly better to apply a little bit later with a stronger score. But as a general measure, trying to get your application in, in as early as possible is important. Yeah, my, my rule of thumb is apply as early as possible, provided you don't compromise the quality of your application said much better. That is exactly what I meant. <laughs> but um, it took a few years to get for me to get that. But <laughs> um, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. There's there's no early advantage if it's a bad application. And is there anything oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. When does UCLA's application open typically? Typically September 1st. And our deadline is February 1st. Um, you know, it's not that you have to apply by September 1st, but if right. you can get it in by around this time of the year, early December, I think that's great. All right, great. Is there anything you would have liked me to ask you? Goodness, uh, you know, I, I can't think of anything. I guess, um, you know, I guess oh, what like I would say is, well, I, I guess I would just highlight that if people have questions that you didn't ask, we're happy to answer them. And there are many ways people can go about doing that. That's what we're here for is to help be of assistance to them. So if somebody out there listening to this is thinking, huh, I wish Linda had asked him that. You can still ask me that. Uh, I'm available by email and we offer virtual, at least now, virtual tours uh, where we have an admissions staff come on and answer your individual questions. And we're even right now, we're not able to have people observe law school classes in person, but we can email a link and live stream it to, uh, to a prospective student. And I think for prospective students to get a sense of what they're uh, getting into and to see what a law school class is actually like, that can be a really helpful thing to do. So I guess I would just encourage people that want to know more to, uh, to take advantage of those opportunities. Sounds great. Dean Schwartz, I think we're almost out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your expertise. Where can listeners learn more about UCLA Law? Well, they can go to our website at uh, law.ucla.edu. Uh, they're also welcome to email me directly at schwartzr, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z-R at law.ucla.edu. Great. Thank you again. Listeners, I also want to thank you for joining me for this wonderful interview with Dean Schwartz. We'll include links in the show notes at accept.com slash 448 to UCLA Law School, as well as to other resources that may be helpful to listeners. And a quick reminder, don't miss the Law School Admissions Quiz. Find out if you are really ready to apply and competitive at your target schools. Take the quiz at accepted.com slash law dash quiz today. This is Admissions Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.